0: The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. So it's good that God is just, but then it presents also another problem. If God is just, what does He do with us? Let me illustrate the problem for you. A few years ago, I was in, uh, in Europe and I was going to speak at a university. And I knew that the crowd was really going to be against me. And they all had this idea that this uh, social dinosaur was going to come over with some Puritan-type message and tell them that they were all sinners. And so when I walked out on the stage, I was really praying, Lord, please help me. And I feel like He gave me some wisdom. Um, I looked at this crowd of university students, and I said, I am going to share with you the most terrifying truth in the scriptures. And I I kept telling them and warning them, I'm about to share with you the most terrifying truth that anyone could ever know about God. And so when they were all poised on the edge of their seat, I, I looked at them and I said, here it is, the most terrifying truth of scripture is that God is good." Now at that moment they all kind of started laughing, snickering, it's like, what's the problem? Uh, Some of them even voiced, they said, well what's the problem with a good God? I mean why is that bad news? Why is it terrifying that God is good? And my answer was this, it's terrifying to know that God is good because we are not. So what does a good God do with people like us, sinners. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against one another. We've sinned against nature. We've sinned against everything. All of creation calls for our condemnation. If God is truly just, then what does he do with us? If a just God simply pardons the wicked, he is no longer just. If a holy God calls the wicked, to himself, to have fellowship with him, he's not a holy God. So the great question of all the scripture is this, how does a just God pardon wicked men and still be just? How does a holy God call wicked men into fellowship with him and still be holy? And the answer is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus Christ we see this tremendous unique revelation of the fullness of God's attributes. God is just. He must condemn our sin. God is love, and so He becomes a man in His Son, lives a perfect life as a man, and then goes to that tree, and on that tree, the sins of His people are cast upon Him, and all the justice of God, all the wrath of God that we deserve is thrown down upon the head of Christ. The exact measure that was required in order to fully satisfy the justice of God. After suffering, Christ said, it is finished. That meant he did what was required to satisfy God's justice against God's people. He paid the price in full. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis,
1: Minnesota. Pastor Walt McFadden, you're thinking out loud. And every time we come to this podcast studio, we're thinking out loud. And uh, you've been doing a series in your church, and it's all about 1 Timothy. Now, one of the things I think is very helpful to me is sitting in the congregation. You said when you started the series that 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, all those three books together you're preaching on, you said this is a group of literature the epistles on church order is that correct
2: yeah they're called the pastoral epistles because timothy and titus are young pastors and paul is at the end of his ministry and he's given him kind of the final instructions there's a little bit of a gap between first and second timothy but the objective is to bring order to the church how do we do things what is the system of authority that god has placed So he's talking about leadership in the church. He's talking about elders, deacons, the role of women, the role of widows, a lot of housekeeping-type items. But there's something that underlines all of that, and that is the gospel. There are certain themes that we see in addition to the overall theme of order. For example, I mentioned in last Sunday's sermon this phrase where Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying and he's obviously referring back to some kind of theological information or doctrine. He often uses the term, the faith. That's another podcast we should do. And he's not talking about our personal faith. He's talking about what do Christians actually believe. Chuck Colson wrote a book called The Faith, and it was a call to church, to the church in America, to get back to what are the core beliefs One of the problems that they face here in the church in Ephesus where Timothy is the temporary pastor appointed by Paul is endless controversies. Endless controversies are, I'm sure, much more rare in those days, but now they're rapid fire. Every 60 seconds you can refresh your phone and get new news. Headlines just keep coming faster and faster and faster, and the pressures on the pastor where the people want a reaction or an answer for every single one of those headlines. Paul doesn't do that. He takes Timothy back to the gospel, and he uses these doctrinal phrases. He uses these terms that go back to the faith. And he's saying, Timothy, I understand that things have happened in the church. I have excommunicated those elders that were false teachers. Now let's focus on order, bringing order back into the church.
1: It's interesting. You talk about pressure on pastors. So you've got all these controversies that people coming into the church are dealing with because it's on social media, like you said. But what you said is that we're going to bring people back to the gospel and may not address all of these things, like say, for example, to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. You said, that's not my job. To tell you what to do or not to do my job is to give you the gospel now that's controversial in some circles today because some congregants want their pastor to be relevant <laughs> and relevant means we want you addressing these issues
2: respond the problem with timothy and titus is they're facing the future of the church without paul he's not going to be around to tell them you need to get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated You have to stand on your own two feet. The writer of Hebrews says, get off of the milk, get onto the meat. There hasn't been a maturation process instituted in most churches. At City View Church, we talk about the clear path for discipleship. How do people go from salvation into full maturity in Jesus Christ? There's got to be a timetable. There's got to be a process for that. For Jesus, it was a three-year period living with 12 men. One of them betrayed him, But those men were released and they went all over the world preaching the same exact gospel. So it wasn't diluted. And the gospel message, this for lack of a phrase, really, it's just the message that the false teachers are giving. The message was wrong. So Paul says to Timothy, let's get back to the gospel message. The gospel message should be one of good news, one of grace, but one that also calls us to the cross. If the cross is not the center of the message, it's not the true gospel. So we have to continually ask ourselves, you know, is this about me? The phrase has been bantered around here for the last 20 years, man-centered theology, which is an oxymoron. There's no man-centered theology. But what we're doing is we're turning the gospel toward us. The most shining example is the prosperity of the gospel, The prosperity gospel makes the gospel about us, that it's about our wealth, our health, our prosperity, our self esteem, and that's pervaded every part of the church. There are different ways that this man centered theology manifests itself, but there always needs to be a call, as Jesus called his disciples, to take up your cross, follow me, die daily. It's a daily battle with our flesh and find maturation in Jesus Christ.
1: So often we're always fighting in the church, not fighting necessarily, but the controversies come out. Let's say homosexuality. One thing you said on Sunday, which has really tweaked my interest, you said the sins of the past are now coming front and center to America. The gospel deals with sins. It's sins of the nation and sins of an individual. So what do you mean by that, and how does this getting back to the gospel?
2: We've gone all of this uh, period of time, and in my view, in my perspective, a great deal has been done in our country to right the wrongs of the past. We fought a civil war that cost 750,000 lives. Just about every male between 18 and 25 was killed in in the South, and the South did not recover economically until 1994. Then we went through the battles of civil rights. We should have progressed. We should have moved on. I understand there are still some things out there, wrongs that need to be made right, however means that happens through the government. That's not of much concern to me. But what I see in the scripture is when we defy God, when we shake our fist at God and we completely erase him out of the question, the gospel brings, for example, the call to forgiveness. You have to forgive. There's no choice. As If you're my brother in Christ, I have to forgive you. Peter comes and asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven? That sounds like an awful lot. And Jesus is seven times 70. In other words, endlessly, you should forgive this person. Forgiveness is a Christian concept. It's a biblical concept. And now we have a culture with no biblical reference, no biblical basis, and we're left with an empty shell of morality, and something is going to come into that vacuum and replace it. And right now, it's vengeance. It's revenge. God says, vengeance is mine. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Without God, vengeance falls on us. And so we start taking revenge. And I'm quite concerned about the future of our country. And how have we defied God? We're defying him every day in Pride Month as we watch commercial after commercial. If we watch every product that's sold on television, every television show has to have a gay character, a transgender character. It's not going to stop. And I'm just kind of stunned because, you know, we went through COVID. We even went through the gay marriage amendment, and it didn't feel like, okay, now everybody's up in my face with this. Now everybody is up in our face with this pride, and this is the direction that we're going to go. And I thought maybe we could weather the storm of transgenderism and realize the absolute nonsense that it is. Trust the science. Come on. We're not trusting the science there. We're defying God. We're shaking our fist at him. We are completely separating from our Judeo-Christian roots. The argument shouldn't be we're a Christian nation or we're not a Christian nation. Regardless of that, this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. That was our moral ethic. Now that's all out the door. And what are we left with? We're left with a moral vacuum. And the concern is that our future is really up in the air.
1: You talk about vengeance today. Is vengeance sometimes considered justice in this society? I mean, you talk about there is no justice without righteousness. I I thought that was a very
2: interesting concept. Tell us about it. We all cry for justice until we find out what justice is. Justice in the eyes of God is the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If we're talking about justice, you jab somebody's eye out, what is the just thing to do, to do something equal, to take out. But God instead sends Jesus Christ to pay for our justice, to bring justice, to satisfy the wrath of God. And when we take that out of the question, then we're back to this Old Testament concept. And that was all through the ancient world, that if a person killed someone, then their life would be taken. Uh, and then it just, justice just kind of becomes subjective. So we want justice for ourselves. We, we want that justice put on. We want somebody else to pay. But then when it comes to our sins and our crimes and the things that we've done, we're innocent because we're loving, we're kind, we're open. And we miss the righteousness, which is what brings us, if I can explain this, from the subjective to the objective. So if it's if our justice is based on a subjective view of morality, well, then we're going to get Nazi Germany or we're going to get communist Russia or China. That's subjective. If we have an objective view of right and wrong, then we can bring in and institute God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is filled with mercy and with grace and with love. We're not seeing that in our culture right now.
1: So you come back to First and Second Timothy, in which your series is based on, And you're dealing with the cross, and the cross is God's justice to all of these matters, right? And that cross, then, is justice, and that puts the church back in order, is what I hear you saying from Sunday to Sunday.
2: It's intellectually dishonest to deny that Christianity has made the world a better place. You can point to examples of slavery or colonialism or whatever it might be, I say that's number one. It's not true Christianity. Christianity changed the world. For example, I was just reading that in the Greek, Greco-Roman world, there was no ethic for caring for the poor or the sick because you were wasting your time. They weren't of importance. And so Christians come into the world and they're saying every life is important. We have this phrase, black lives matter. Black lives matter to God when it becomes something secular, it's sort of dirtied up with all this vengeance stuff and all of this revenge, and it's got communism and Marxism mixed in it. There's nothing pure about it. And that's the deception of the enemy. That's what Paul is talking about. It's an endless controversy. We can't just handle this issue of racial reconciliation biblically. We you have to bring bring all these experts in, and they're talking about how r- white people are inherently racist. And I'm hearing this from Christians, from Christians. I'm not racist. I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So bringing it back to the cross and dying to myself, I can't really love a person until I've died to myself. Use the example of marriage. I can be attracted physically to my wife. I can appreciate her good meals. The point where I really love her is when I serve her, when I am meeting her needs, when it's not all focused on me. And we have a world that's just crying out, me, 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 all the time, and they can't even see it. I can't reconcile with my brother. I cannot have a a true Christian love for another person of color, another brother of color unless I have died to myself. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus physically dies on the cross, and he tells us to spiritually die, to die to ourselves and to our wants and our interests, and then we'll have healing. We don't have that in our culture. We just have a lot of finger pointing, a lot of stereotyping. We have a lot of accusations, and things are getting worse. People are right. It is getting worse it's becoming more uncomfortable, it's becoming more hostile, it's becoming more divided because we've taken God out of the equation.
1: You said, specifically, because I wrote it down, there is no justice without righteousness. And then you went on and talked about Paul's life that changed from a blasphemer and persecutor. And, in other words, he was out murdering Christians.
2: Of course, we, we all want justice. Justice is a good thing. You can't have justice without righteousness because you don't have any kind of moral standard. If you look at God, he's holy, he's perfect. He sends his son into the world. He sends his most beloved possession, his son to die on the cross for us. And that not only demonstrates his love, it demonstrates his righteousness. That God is saying, the penalty for sin is death, but I'm going to bring in my righteousness and I'm gonna offer another path to whomever might receive it in faith. And you can't bring your laurels, you can't bring your awards, you can't bring your own righteousness because that's contaminated. It's dirty, it's filthy. It has false motives in it. I'm going to bring you into my pure righteousness. So God says to us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you see the connection there. God's justice and righteousness work in cooperation with one another. So if I take that down to the level between me and my brother, because of what Christ has done on the cross, because he forgave me through the sacrifice of his son, I have no other choice than to forgive my brother because of God's sacrifice of his son on the cross. The two are interlinked together. Righteousness puts demands on me. It puts moral demands on me, and I would say that the moral demands of Christianity supersede any moral demands of any other religion. It makes me go beyond. It makes me go beyond my own personal righteousness, and it makes me go beyond being a do-gooder right? Just do a few things, send some money to starving children in Africa, clean up my neighborhood. That's not God's standard of righteousness. God's standard of righteousness is much, much higher than that. It means that even if my brother comes and slaps me in the face 490 times, I'm going to forgive it because the cross of Jesus Christ compels me to forgive because there's nothing that I can do to match what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me.
1: That's a radical way of thinking, you know, when you think about it, right? I mean, it's radical. But the other thing you said, and I want to come back because I love the idea of First and Second Timothy and Titus being books of order. You said that we are to stay away from controversies because it cheapens the gospel, right? Because controversies, and you said this emphatically, they divide, they divide, they divide, I love that because it's true, right? If you're a church or a pastor or a teacher and all you're going to deal with is controversies, you're shortchanging what the gospel could
2: really do for an individual. Absolutely. As we conclude, just go back to this issue of racial reconciliation. There's no controversy there. It's been decided that through the cross, Jesus Christ erased the divide between Jew and Greek. We're now one. Through a radical idea. That Gentiles would be welcomed into a synagogue or temple or some type of Jewish gathering is anathema to the Jewish person. But the gospel demanded it. There's no Jew, there's no Greek. The conversations, the endless controversies we have about equal pay and women's rights and all of those kinds of things, those matters are settled in the gospel. It's actually written into the story that Jesus Christ came and died for all people. So there's no no wiggle room for me to, um, here's just a little example, the book of James. James says, what's going on here? The rich people are ignoring the poor people. Everybody's on equal ground here and the cross has done that. So that's where the, the gospel brings order to the church. And we'll talk about this as we continue on with podcasting. This idea of, endless controversy. No, the controversy has been settled at the cross of Jesus Christ. Somewhere in that book, the Bible, is the answer to the problems that we're facing right now in our culture and in the church. And you
1: would conclude that the remedy is the gospel, period.
2: Oh, 100%.
1: You're a unique pastor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's face it. Think of all the messages that you've heard in churches have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. It's self-help, whatever. And you're saying, no, no, no. That's just as bad as the controversies in the myths if you don't get back to pay dirt, which is the gospel. Last word?
2: Just go back to the illustration I use several times now. The restaurant's going down. You expand the menu. You start trying to meet every need. We've expanded the menu. We're talking about everything except the gospel. And what we're supposed to be doing is talking about the gospel. The gospel has all the answers that we need. There are almost 400,000 churches in America, so there are many
1: choices. So what is your criteria for attending church?
0: And I fear that some of you started coming to this church because you wanted a happy family. You wanted a happy marriage. You wanted happy kids. You wanted a good family relationship. And you realize, you know what, I think God could grant me that. So let me go to the church and ask him for that. But my concern is this. If that's your motivation for following God, then really God has become a means to an end for you. Well, then suddenly God just becomes someone you use and this means to an end rather than believing that God is the end himself.
1: Well, City View is a church in the city for the city. Our services focus on worship, prayer, and providing you with the truth from God's word. There's no spin when it comes to telling you the truth about life and how to live it according to God's plan. City View Church, located at 3041 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our Sunday service begins at 1030 a.m.
0: This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.